Hello listeners, you are listening to All Talk, this is Charlotte and today's guest I am incredibly excited about. He is a quadruple threat in the entertainment industry. He is a comedian, a TV presenter, writer, actor and he has sold out Leicester Square on multiple occasions and you may have seen his hit comedy sketch Muslamic on BBC3. You also may have seen him on Channel 4's Bounty as well. Uh, Let's say hello to Artif Nawaz, hi. Hi Charlotte, how are you? I'm fantastic, how are you? Yeah, I'm very, very well. A little bit warm, but you know, I'm okay. I'm comfortable. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I don't know about you in London, it's kind of brightening up here in Liverpool. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess, like, I feel like uh, any kind of premiership title does that to us at so, um, yeah, we haven't had one for a while in London, that's probably why it's a bit gloomy. I'm not even going to give my opinion on it, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm not even going to go into it. Um, but yeah, no, I've got so many questions for you. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie, you are, uh, I'm, I've been doing some research and uh, you're you're pretty up there with Nelson Mandela, aren't you? You're, you're pretty high end. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, that, that's what every interview I ever do compares me to Nelson Mandela. No, of course not. Um, <laughs> no, I just like, I've got, been very lucky and privileged to do some funky things. I've, yeah, I've made a nice little, little career on the side while nobody was paying attention. But, <laughs> you did good, you did good. So before I go into the questions that I've got for you, uh, for our listeners, the the one thing I've been asking everyone on my interviews is best lockdown story. Have you got an interesting one for us? Uh, an interesting lockdown story. Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, wow, I really should be better at this. I've done a couple of gigs. I've done a couple of, so yeah, so, you know, the stand-up comedy industry is kind of ground to a, halt during lockdown because you know no comedy clubs nowhere to go perform so there's a whole bunch of these digital gigs that are happening now and uh, you know I, I i've done quite a few of them now and there was one that that was a daytime recording for for the show that was going to go out at nighttime and for some reason i couldn't get decent internet inside my house so i went out with my car which is in the driveway and was recording uh, the, the video in my car and as I was recording the video in my car with the, with the phone leaning on my steering wheel like the postman like came into the thing and all you could see was some guy talking to his steering wheel and he was getting kind of freaked out and then he started waving and trying to communicate with me but I'm in the middle of a set gesticulating and I can't break my story because of the technical limitation so like he's just kind of gesticulating and I'm gesticulating as well. It was really bizarre. It was come some kind of shadow theater situation going on. Um, but other than that, I don't really, I think I've had a pretty sedate, boring lockdown, to be honest with you. Okay, all right. That's a pretty good story. So the postman thinks you've lost it pretty much, is what you're saying. Yeah, all, all, he, all he thinks that he's doing was doing some kind of interpretive dance thing together. And um, we'll see. I think he probably has a little peek into my car window before he puts my post in the letterbox every time he comes in. Amazing. Maybe we'll see him in one of your sketches soon. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> there we go. So, obviously, I mean, you're massive into comedy. Um, you've got, you've done so much. What, one question I wanted to ask you is, when did you first realise you could make people laugh? Like, when, when um, did that happen? Well, I mean, I, I, like, that's kind of cheesy, right? You make my, I kind of make my family laugh, my friends laugh, just kind of growing up. I used to be kind of shy, but funny, like, you know. I'd have my moments of just cracking up the room and it was a lovely feeling. I wasn't particularly good at it initially, but I, le- I knew I le- loved comedy and, you know, there was a particular moment sort of in my late 20s when I was watching a comedian where I thought, you know, I'd love to just do that. Um, and uh, in my late teens, sorry. And I, yeah, I mean, I just kind of looked it up and it was a, almost a scientific approach to it. Like I, I 
put in a lot of time to develop the skills and learn how to do it and you know the art of telling a joke and writing a joke and crafting you know a sequence of jokes and a set and building a set to like a 60 minute set and building a 60 minute set to a, to a show and all that kind of stuff like it, it it was it was very much a work in progress i can't watch clips of myself from 2008 because they're shockingly poor like i've done my best to bury as many of them online as i can because like i look at it i cringe it was such a poor standard and i'm just really grateful that people just didn't that nobody turned up turned around to me and said like you know what kid try something else yeah um you know they let me keep going and you know i'm just very lucky and you know here i am sort of what 13 12 years later still doing my thing that's amazing you've done so much i am now gonna research 2008 clips of you though <laughs> so now you said that <laughs> um, Find them. you let me know because i need to get them taken down oh no i i won't let you know i will just post them I've before it, you put <laughs> it before you know there's a review i remember i did a show in 2008 in blackburn uh King George's Hall, and in 2000 and 2009, 2000, it was either 2008 or 2009, but I was still quite early days, and I'd managed to kind of talk my way onto this bill, and it was a professional night, and I wasn't really getting booked on professional nights at the time, I was kind of doing open mics and, you know, new comedian nights and things like that, so I, I went along to this show, and, you know, the, but I didn't do that well, and I knew I didn't do that well, but I didn't realise it was so poor until the review came out the next day, and it was in, like, a local paper, and it was just like, you know, oh, so-and-so was fantastic, so-and-so was amazing, but the night went rapidly downhill when Artif Dawaz came on the stage and, uh, you know, was poor in every way and insulted the audience and blah, 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 blah. It was really kind of heartbreaking, to be oh, honest gosh. with you. Um, but, yeah, that was sort of very early days. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, um, uh, you know, another comedian called Christian Elderfield. I told him I got a really bad review and he was like, dude, you know, if you're going to feel that way about every bad review, maybe the game isn't for you. Like, develop some thick skin. Um, accept the critical um, feedback and improve and that's what, what I tried to do and over the, over the years I managed to bury that review in the search engine so if you're googling me you'll have to get to page like 300 before you get to it now <laughs> I'm still gonna do it I'm gonna find it <laughs> <laughs> I mean it might take me a while but there you go I suppose it's being cruel to be kind right because now you've done so well like, like you say 12 years later you've done brilliantly so I mean you during lockdown have you been working on anything like have you come up with i mean you must have come up with a bunch of material I, what have you been doing yeah no because there's still a lot of these kind of uh, online shows on instagram and zoom and things like that so mm. you you write things for them all the time and like i know a lot of comedians like to go kind of conversational they find it kind of weird to just perform comedy without an like a live audience and i understand that um but i really wanted to keep that you know, I want to, it's a bit like going to the gym writing comedy, right? The minute you stop, you lose strength and any kind of build-up. You, you need to stay in comedic shape, if that makes any sense. You yeah. keep writing, keep exercising that muscle in your brain that helps you come up with funny things. Um, so I've, I've been writing non-stop. I was actually looking forward to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. I was going to debut a brand new uh, solo um, comedy show, which I was going to tour later on in the year. But obviously, that's all been put on hold. And um, yeah, like, it's weird because... Like now, when I look at that stuff, I can't, um, I, ca I can't engage with it as much as I could when I was writing it. Like now, it feels almost outdated. I wanna, I wanna write about different things. I'm thinking about different. That lockdown has been so introspective. You kind of live in your head. Yeah. If you, if you're like me, you're kind of by yourself most of the time. So you, you, you're always thinking about things and processing things. And you know, there's big social movements like you know Black Lives Matter and Speak Out and all these things that are really important. Sure. Um, that make you think about your values your behavior and your impact on the audience that follows your work and your responsibility to that uh, audience that follow your work so 
Like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of reworking some things that I've written. I'm trying to be less sort of strategic because every year I kind of think, okay, this, I'm going to release the show on this date, so I must finish writing it by this date, and so I must preview it by this date, and it's all very scientific and calculated, whereas I'm trying to be a bit more freestyle and just kind of let things come to me and be a bit more sincere about what I'm writing and not worry too much about fitting it into any boxes. Nice, nice. Okay, so that's brilliant. So. I want to ask this because I obviously, I mean, I would be a terrible comedian because I'd get up there and I'd freeze and I'd run away. But I always admire the fact that you guys get up there and you just do it. It's great. But I mean, how do you, do you still get nervous when you get out there? Because you've performed in front of like 1800 people. You've sold out Leicester Square. Like, do you still freak out when you go out or are you, it's just pure adrenaline? It's, it's quite, I'll be honest, it's quite rare for me to get nervous. I do still sometimes. Um, every time I get in Blackburn, I still get a little bit nervous just because that review comes back to my mind. But um, yeah, look, I should I should clarify: it's Leicester Square Theatre rather than Leicester Square. I didn't sell out the whole square; that would be, you know, impossible. Right. Um, but I did sell out the theatre, which was lovely, um, a bunch of times, and you know, that, I've been very lucky. I've been got very kind audiences, but because I've had so much love from the audiences that follow my work, like even when I do Edinburgh. Like, there's a group of people who don't even go to the festival, they'll just come and see my show because, you know, they, they like they like what I do. And I've, I've had that kind of love from audiences, so I feel generally quite good about what I'm doing. Also, there's a level of confidence you develop after doing it for so long, like, you know you what you've got is, well, at least good to you or you're comfortable with it. The minute you're comfortable with somebody, the worst thing that can happen is somebody won't laugh or they won't find it interesting or entertaining or funny. And that's fine. As long as you're okay with it, and you can accept that some people won't like it, you couldn't possibly fail. All you can do is deliver the material that you've prepared. And if they don't like it, that's fine. That's not a big deal. We can just work on it again. But as long as you're prepared and, you know, you've got a show and there's an audience out there, why be nervous? Go enjoy the feeling. Yeah, that's a good that's a good outlook to have, for sure. You should do it, by the way. You said you could never do it, but you should definitely do it. Like, you gotta, I sincerely believe that everybody should get on stage <laughs> at least one time in their life just get in front of a group of people and just you know say whatever you got to say it doesn't have to be you don't have to be michael mcintyre you don't have to be like you know dave Chappelle, chris rock you don't have to be anybody you just have to just just do it for the experience the the, the buzz of it you'll feel some personal development some catharsis just doing it i feel like yeah see i i would love to have i mean the closest i've got to comedy is um i was in a pantomime that I mean, that's like as far as I've, I've gone. That's not bad. That's not what's the, don't, don't downplay that. Pantomimes are cool shows. I, I go and see at least one pantomime every December. So, you know, I um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's not a big transition from that to doing a little bit of stand-up comedy. You don't have to be up there for hours. No. You could do like five minutes, something like that. You'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, knowing me as well, I could get up there and start rambling and then it could all go wrong. But maybe I'll take your advice. You might see me soon. You never know. Um, yeah, I'll look out for it. It's good advice. It's good advice. So how do you deal? Because recently, I don't know if you've ever, there's a comedy club in Liverpool um, and now I've forgotten the name of it. It's underground. Hot water. Hot water. I think that's it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. What? Yeah, I think that's the one. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, it's been months since we've been uh, right in the city centre. And I remember going and just thinking, because there are hecklers. Obviously, people drink and then they start heckling. How do you deal with hecklers? Like, you personally? Well, you yeah, know, I mean, the, the comics, like, particularly comics in Liverpool, they're so adept at dealing with 
hecklers like <laughs> I'm a big fan of a Liverpoolian comedian called Adam Rowe. Yeah. And um, he's fantastic. He's frequently at Hot Water Comedy Club as well. Um, he kind of invites that. He's got this real alpha energy on stage. And, you know, I'm like, I think in the industry, and I, I don't mean to in any way sound arrogant or self aggrandizing, but people see me as kind of like a nice guy. Like, you know, so I don't. I don't get the aggressive heckles, but I have had some moments where people heckled me, and there was a moment where, which was like, so I think it was the Guardian, or the, it was the Guardian. They did like a piece on, you know, the ten best heckle put downs or whatever, and I was very fortunate they included me in that list. And it was just about there was a passage where I was talking about not drinking alcohol in my set, right? Yeah. Because um, I don't, I'm a Muslim, I don't drink, so and it's not a big deal. It was just part of my story. But there was a guy in the audience who was quite he was drinking a lot himself and he kept yelling and interrupting what i was saying and he kept objecting to this not drinking thing and then i and i said something which i probably can't repeat on this uh, <laughs> station but uh, there's a clip online you can find it it's like you know uh, i think it's like called that if not why i don't drink but fair warning there's a little bit of aggressive language in there and like i think and it's not i didn't deliver it aggressively i kept my tone but i made my point and does this ever happen to you, Charlotte, where you're arguing with somebody, you have an argument, and then you walk away from them, and then 10 minutes later, you think, damn, that's what I should have said. Yes. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, all right. the time. <laughs> so, as a comedian, right, you've got this beautiful opportunity to have that moment over and over again. So, when you have, when you, if you're at a gig and somebody heckles you and you don't have a comeback in that moment, you think about it, and then eventually something will come to you, and then you write that down. So, the next time somebody heckles you, you're ready to go. And if you've been going for like 10, 15 years or whatever, you've got like a whole backlog, backlog and catalogue of put put downs and you know like slams and burns and comebacks and all these kind of things you know um and it's just it's just part of it really it's bizarre because it's really only a pronounced thing in the uk yeah and a little bit of europe but every time i've kind of gone over to the states and stuff they don't heckle as much no they, they tend to be very quiet and more um yeah, just a bit more of a, I don't want to say pleasant, but yeah, just a bit more of an attentive, mm. obedient audience. And um, like, it's weird, you kind of miss the heckling when you're out there. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I, um, I, I, when I was working, I worked on cruise ships and obviously they have a comedy club on there and quite a few obviously American comedians. And I did notice that actually, there's not, there's barely any heckling at all. Um, but when you, if you ever go to, have you been to Australia? If you go there, they heckle in Australia. Um, probably, yeah, no, probably I, worse than us. Yeah, I've never, I've never uh, been there myself. I've, I had a couple of plans to get over there for the um, Adelaide Fringe, and they both, they, both times the plan kind of fell through. But mm. um, yeah, I've heard many stories. I've like, I've got a lot of a ton of friends who perform in Australia who are Australian themselves, and it's a slightly different culture over there. Um, and yeah, they, yeah, they tend to have very thick skin. The comedians from Australia, um, and they tend to do really well over here as well. So yeah, you know, yeah. It's, a, it's a different culture everywhere you go. Yeah, definitely. No, I do actually know the clip that you're talking about. Um, I did, I did actually find that earlier on today, and it's, <laughs> it wasn't it, so mean, was it? It was good. It was good. Yeah, no, <laughs> I appreciated that. I really did. Um, yeah, no, it was pretty good. Um, so obviously, I mean, you you've done comedy and things like that, but I I'm going to talk to you about cricket in a second because okay. I know nothing about cricket, but you obviously do. Um, but before that, Muslamic on BBC Three. Cool. Talk to mm. me about that. Yeah, well, it's a sketch comedy show that myself and a really dear friend of mine, another very talented comedian called uh, Ali Official, mm. uh, wrote together. We were we were driving back from the Glee Club in Birmingham, which is a comedy club 
after the show one night and we just chatted about things we wanted to do in the industry and we talked about wanting to write um, a sketch comedy show from the perspective of like two Muslim guys like we love Key and Peel, right the American show uh, the sketch duo and they're so talented and we just adore their sketches and we just love that style and we really mm. thought it lent itself to this kind of you know this suburb well, suburban like English British Muslim experience and so we thought let's put that in sketch form and then you know we're, we're very lucky there were some great people at BBC Studios who said you know they wanted to back us there's a, a gentleman called Chris Sussman who's produced you know amazing things like Fleabag and um you know uh, Inside Number Nine and uh gosh uh, Unorthodox which I was watching mm. recently on, on Netflix like he's done some great shows and yeah. he he you know became a champion for our show and made sure that it would happen and you know and then we put it out there and then you know millions of people watched it it was really yeah. bizarre like we did for us it was just like a little idea that the two of us had we had no idea that like million like there's one sketch in particular that we were told afterwards has been seen more than like 70 million times around the world and um it blew my mind because if i put all my work together of the last 12 years against that sketch it wouldn't equate to like a tenth of that so it's it was a different scale of of um audience for me and yeah and it was just a really cool experience it's, it's a dream right when you're a kid like your dream of writing and starring your own show right and uh, and it happened with islamics so it was very cool it's i mean it's awesome i've been watching some of the the stuff online and it is it was making me laugh it's great i mean and you're right that's i suppose that was your dream when you were younger and you've you've accomplished it and it's it's impressive it's great um but yeah i mean i you know i i've watched some of your stuff and like i say it's, it is it's brilliant who were you influenced by like who was your when you were younger or when you started this like who was uh, who was influencing you Gosh, there's so many people. I mean, I admired more people's work than I was influenced by. Mm. So, you know, I always loved stand-up comedy, but I never really thought it was, I never thought of it as like a tangible option for me mm. um, until I saw Olmitra Lili on stage at, at Live at the Apollo. He's um, an Iranian comedian and actor, and he's phenomenal. And, you know, he looks a bit like me, and uh, I, I saw him on stage, and I was, what, sort of 18, 19 years old, and that was the first time when I watched him that it occurred to me that that's something you can do. Like, I should do that. I should become a stand-up comedian. And, um, yeah, like, so I think just as a direct influence, like, I love his style, you know, he, the way he kind of treats everything like a perform, like a show. He gives it that that theatrical quality. He's, he's, he's drama school trained, so he brings this kind of performance mm. to everything. Whereas when you watch him like Dave Chappelle, like it's, it's, it feels like it's deeply emotional, like you're just listening to him talk, and, and you can because he's got this incredible uh, comedic voice and just, you know, something that we all, you know, we're just privileged to be around in, in, in the same time. But, like, someone like Omid, I just love that style of performance. I mean, I'm of Pakistani heritage as well. Right. So, you know, performance is... We always think of performing as quite a big thing. Like when you're going out to see something, it's a it's a it's an event, right? You it's like buying tickets to the opera sure. or buying tickets to the vid. So so you give that performance that importance. You dress nicely for it. You you make it quite big. You make it seem like it's an event every single time. And like all of these things, they really fed themselves into the way that I perform. And and to this day, I've really I've retained a lot of those qualities. So Ahmed Jalili, number one with a bullet in terms of influences. Okay, fantastic. Good to know. So right, cricket now. Like I say, I know nothing about cricket whatsoever. <laughs> the only reason I know something to do, my dad is a massive fan of cricket. Um, but you, I mean, talk about, you've got the greatest rivalry, right? That's your podcast. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. 
so yeah no we just uh, started doing this over lockdown so the, the cricket thing is so bizarre like I, I I was always as a fan my whole life right um, and I was the son of Pakistani immigrants in the UK so that's it's kind of almost a given that you're gonna like cricket particularly growing up in the sort of 90s and, and uh, noughties and stuff like that's what you did you watch cricket with your family and all that kind of stuff so I always adored it from a distance and I was kind of like I mean, I wasn't quite a journalist, but I was definitely a smart fan, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. Again, without sounding arrogant or anything like that. I, I, I was lucky that because my profile was growing in the in the world of comedy and things like that, people would invite me for my opinions on it. It was a bit like sort of soccer, soccer AM style, where they bring on celebs to talk about their favorite football teams. People would frequently bring me on to things to talk about Pakistani cricket. And, you know, that caught the wind of somebody at BBC Sport who was like, yo, why don't you come and do a show for us about this and I was like okay that'll be fun and then we did that and that led on to me being involved in the World Cup and getting to broadcast some stuff and you know kind of slowly but surely made my way onto TMS which is like TMS is like this institution it's like a 100 year old program that they've been doing on the BBC and like you know I managed to get on there from by by complete fluke Um, and then yeah so I mean obviously there's no cricket this year because of lockdown and it doesn't look like there's going to be for a while so um, I've been chatting to a friend of mine uh, Nikesh Raghani who's a a sports journalist himself and you know we had this idea of documenting the rivalry between India and Pakistan because like if you compare like the biggest rivalries in the world is what people think like Brazil and Italy or um, England, Germany or you know whatever you might think like these are the big rivalries that people think of in terms of sport but for a cricket fan there is nothing like Pakistan versus India like I'll give you a frame of reference last year at the World Cup when they played more than a billion people watched around the wow. world that's certified that's that's not like an ex- like some kind of hyperbole yeah. like you can break down the million the billion people that watched that game and like why why do a billion people fix it on this game of cricket why do, why do their lives come to a standstill sure. to watch these 22 men on a field and we try to document that all the way back to their first game in 1952 to the present day and that's what the series is it's called the india versus pakistan the greatest rivalry and it's been so much fun to do i feel like a historian like, I think this is the one thing my parents are most proud of that I've done. They're like, wow, he's an academic. He can do these things now. <laughs> like, yeah, mom and dad, yeah. Yeah, I tell silly jokes, but I can tell, uh, I can do some, some cricket history as well. It's impressive. I mean, I know that last year, the, the TMS, which is, I now know stands for Test Match Special, right? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. I'm learning. Um, that was last <laughs> year in December, right? You That huge achievement for you. Yeah, it was very cool. So they um, that, they actually sent me to do a special program. So because of the security situation in Pakistan, they haven't had any uh, international cricket there for, gosh, almost 10 years. And um, so last year in December was the first time they were hosting international cricket again. And uh, it, was, it was a big occasion in the world of sports. So uh, the BBC in their infinite wisdom decided to send me uh, to Pakistan to, you know, cover it, do a story on it and uh, record a podcast for BBC TMS for it and um, like that was it was just a pleasure and an honor to be there and you know I'm sitting there because I'm like a total nerd for cricket like I'll read articles about the art of bowling and like statistics and you know obscure players and things I'm so nerdy about it it's unbelievable (laughs) so when I'm sitting there in the press box next to this guy who's I've read a hundred articles of and he wants to talk to me about Muslimic it just kind of blows my mind (laughs) Um, yeah but it was a very it was a very cool experience yeah, it's awesome. That's massive. And you were on, I know you were on the Deucera, right? On on BBC yeah. Five as well? Yeah, that was at the podcast uh, for, for, for Five Lives called the Deucera. And um, yeah, we just finished the third season of that, just at the start of lockdown. And then 
Charlotte. You do. You've got so much that you've like multi talented. Um, but <laughs> with uh, so, can you play cricket? Be honest. I used to, uh, I used to play a little bit in the back garden. I used to play okay, like but you know, when I was like younger, I could do a few things. But you know, now I like. To, I think I'm, I'm comfortable either watching or playing on my PlayStation Four. Okay, so no. <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell. Are yeah. you are you good at it? I mean, well, my like uh, we're all kind of okay. Like in my family, my my father was very good. He actually played uh, to a very high standard um, in his youth in Pakistan, and then my my older brother, um, he played for uh, in the counties in, in England so he was very good as well and then kind of growing up I was on the verge of that but then I opted to focus a little bit more on other things and just you know getting uh, an education and yeah um and then, you know sort of in the in the late 90s early noughties it wasn't really always possible to you know play cricket at the highest level and pursue education and stuff not to say that I was going to be playing at the highest level had I not gone and got a degree that's not what I mean what I mean is like <laughs> Sure. I, I could only do one or the other and I decided to just kind of think I, I, I worked out that I was only going to get to a certain point and I'd rather play for fun rather than like with this intense pressure of representing your county or your country or yeah. you know whatever like I'd rather just play for fun in the back garden with my nephew that's that's my kind of cricket that's awesome well and now look at you now you've got you know all these other things that you're doing which is great um, so I mean what's next then after this are you you going to be recording some more stuff from Islamic I mean what's you've got some tours coming up well, yeah, I mean, the, the lockdown's kind of made me all introspective, so I'm kind of thinking about what I should do next, or what I'd like to do next, rather than what I should do next. Like, the plan really before lockdown was to go back into Muslimic and do more of that, um, but we've put that on hold for the moment, just because, A, the television situation in the UK is a little bit uneasy right now. We don't really know what, you know, what's going to happen and, you know, how things are going to even out, and there's probably bigger things to, for people to worry about than um you know whether they can commission this sketch show for more stuff but uh in in my view we will eventually ali and i will get back together to start writing some more stuff for islamic and um we'll in the meantime i'm just going to keep writing some stand-up and also hopefully fingers crossed have some a new show kind of hit screens at some point early next year fingers crossed okay well if you're looking for a starring role i mean i'm you know that's a phone call away I, you've got to get on the stage first. I want to see that set, and then, yeah. we'll, and then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe not then. Uh, <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, tour-wise, are you... I mean, like you say, it's it's pretty tricky to tell right now, but I know you said you were going to be doing Edinburgh. Is that, like, next year? Have you got anything lined up? Well, it'll happen next year now. Like, I think everything from the, this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival was officially cancelled just right. over a month ago. So they, um, Edinburgh 2021, uh, I imagine it'll be exceptionally busy because people who are planning to do it anyway will be there and everybody who cancelled this year will be there and, and there'll be a lot going on. So as long as there's room for me, uh, you'll definitely see me at the Fringe next year and um, honing and practicing and delivering hopefully a brand new show that is, says something interesting, hopefully. That's awesome. And I know this is this is something that I always ask my guests. I'm I'm pretty big on sort of up and coming uh, talented people, comedians and things like that. So obviously you have done it all. Um, can you tell our listeners, can you give some advice, any wise words for anybody listening? Any aspiring yeah, comedians or writers? I, I, I tell this to everybody. I speak to that once advice about doing comedy or being on TV or acting and things like that. Mm. And, you know, in terms of stand-up comedy at least, I always say just love the art form only do it because you love it if you don't love stand-up comedy then don't do it because it's going to be really hard like it's not a way to get rich or famous it's not a way to you know impress people it's specifically you've got to get something from it that's deeper than that because 
you know, nine out of ten comedians, they don't perform to huge audiences. And it has nothing to do with skill level as well. It's, I mean, the entertainment industry is not a meritocracy. So you need luck on your side. You need timing. You need the right people to champion you along the way. And you need to be incredibly persistent. So what I would say is don't have any expectation from comedy other than enjoying it. So as long as you're enjoying your work, every time you get on stage, whether it's in front of like 10 people, 20 people, or it's like 100, 150, 200 people, like it doesn't matter. The fact is you're there and you love getting that mic and having the privilege of being the designated entertainer in that space. That's the thing to put first and foremost and everything else will follow. Love that. Good advice. Very wise words. <laughs> all right. yeah, I know it's my age showing, that's what it is. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Well, you've been an absolute pleasure. So thank it's you very much. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being on and uh, enjoy the rest of your lockdown. I <laughs> I'm sure it'll, <laughs> it'll be over soon. Um, but yeah. you have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Atif. This was Atif Nawaz and your presenter, Charlotte, here on All Talk. Take care, everyone. We'll be seeing you soon.